one thing uh, I would love to get your take on is I recently had this monster. It looks like this podcast is turning into another monster. Um, <laughs> but um, I had this recent monster of an episode with uh, Eric Helms and Mike Isratel on training frequency. And we ended up chatting about a lot of other things like like volume and how volume changes with training gauge, which I'll also want to get into a little bit later. Ooh, damn, that will be a cool topic. Okay, <laughs> something to look forward to in the next couple of minutes. Um, but first, one thing that Eric said is that when you look at the elite pool of natural lifters, and I guess it also applies to enhanced lifters, what you tend to see is that the best people tend to be either those that tolerate a crap ton of volume, and they're just crushing themselves in the gym with an ungodly number of sets. And they are just fine. And they are looking at all the other people, like maybe yourself even, and say like, oh my God, you're so weak. Like, why can't you do what I do? And then there is the other camp of people that are kind of the exact opposite, who tend to get banged up a lot by any unit of volume, but they also respond really well to that. And basically those two extremes make up the, the elite of bodybuilding. And there are not that many people in the middle. Like those tend to be more mediocre as well. Would you would you agree with what Eric said, that characterization? I think I think there's the common there is a common sort of unifying feature of both of those groups. And as you just pointed to it is those people train hard and they train within their recovery range. So Jeff Alpert's and I can't speak for him, but what you said, he trains as hard as he possibly can without incurring um, chronic overuse injuries and you know just too many injuries to, to just set him back um, and then there's just the genetically gifted so um, I don't know if I've if I've seen that but I, I I would say that see in the in the maybe in the enhanced realm there are people who just grow they just they just they're just so they're so gifted so you kind of have like kind of a, a blurring um, whereas uh, because they've they, they've got the, the gear is there helping maybe they're responding quite well to that you can have people that are really really um, advanced and good upper echelon bodybuilders um, who, who got there because they're particularly responsive to the combination of both training not necessarily as hard as as maybe everyone else would train but the, the training plus the gear gets them a long ways so and then of course they stand out um, simply because they're enhanced as being bigger than, you know, almost any natural top echelon bodybuilder would be. So I think you get sort of a blurring, you know, at that, in the, in the enhanced ranks where you've got some people who are like, I mean, Paul Dillett is an example of, you know, someone always, everyone always points to, it's just like, he just never, he's never like, no one's ever caught video of Paul. And I've never heard anyone train say that, you know, Paul Dillett just trained like an animal. He was just like ridiculously gigantic. Um, he was an absolute monster. Um, and that was, you know, it seems like it was probably, it was genetics, not due to raw effort. But um, yeah, I think, I think there's something, something to say for that. Like literally there's, the more you can, the, the opposite side of the coin, the, the most, if you don't, if you can't recover from the training, then the, the, the training stimulus is null and void, really. So your ability to grow, and this, this is something that is sort of built into the notion of, you know, volume being the quote unquote driver of muscle hypertrophy. And I really want to address that terminology because I think that that plants a, a seed in people's minds that, that, that doesn't provide the context of all the other important aspects that makes it seem like literally that volume is in the driver driver's seat. It is at the steering wheel in control of the acceleration and the brakes, the driver. I mean, that literally, um, when you say that, that, that basically says it's, it's in charge of your, your training destiny. <laughs> 
um, and that's and that's too much. But back to the idea of, of recovery, if you got someone like Jeff Alperts or versus Doug Miller, um, they have to be able to recover from whatever their training stimulus is. And training, you can train really, really, really hard and not do a lot and make great progress. That's absolutely true. I mean, Dorian Yates had his own genetic gifts, but he didn't train with as, as much volume as many of his contemporaries. And Ronnie Coleman was sort of the opposite of that. And they both obviously were recovering from what they were doing. So... Um, I, I could see that, you know, that, that possibility being the case. I, I mean, I, I don't know. Um, I think one of the things, too, it's hard to know, and, and I don't know how Eric has came up with that observation, but um, maybe, I mean, because I know he talks with a lot of natural bodybuilders, so I'm in no way doubting that, you know, that's there's some validity there, but you don't tend to, like, if if you're going to look at someone and say, wow, that guy's, a, you know, what are we seeing in terms of, of, of training? What would grab our attention? What would sort of come to notoriety? And it would be the guys like Doug Miller, who just do un- train ungodly hard and um, uh, do lots of volume, or the people that are sort of at the other end of the spectrum. We tend to look kind of to the outliers. It's not like, you know, you're going to get, everyone's going to want to click on, um, John Smith trains with moderate volume and moderate intensity. <laughs> like, okay, great. I'm going to pass that one right by. I'm not interested in that. You know, you know, like you want to say, how in the world does Jeff grow so much when he only does like, you know, three working sets a week? You know, and Doug Miller does 30 and they all look like this. So those are the things that grab our attention. I'm sure there are people in between, but I think at those two ends, like literally that's the, the, the commonality is, is effort. And I've, and I've sort of always thought of it in this way for, for many, many years is if you look at why is resistance exercise, just from a very, very global perspective, why is resistance exercise such a potent stimulus for muscle growth? Um, one kind of it's there's something bizarre about it. It's the picking up and the lowering. Um, there's a, some evidence really kind of suggests that the eccentric is important. You can grow from isometric contractions. You can grow from concentric only contractions, but the eccentric is important too. So there's something about the picking up and lowering that you know is sort of a unique, I think, for producing the muscle growth. But the thing about resistance training compared to what people do throughout the rest of their day-to-day life is that it's an extraordinary and extreme effort. Literally, unless you're working construction or um, maybe like you're a mover, you know, or you've, you've got some like really heavy duty manual labor job, you're never doing anything that re- that is even really remotely similar in terms of extent of effort that you do in the gym. I mean, ev- even someone like who's like, you know, lifting heavy things, like literally they're, they're trying to do all they can to, you know, use dollies and, um, you know, pallet jacks and lifts and, you know, get the best angle and leverage on things so they don't have to overexert themselves. And they want to do one lift. You're picking up something big because you got to put it in the back of a truck. You do a singular, obviously one second lift. And if it's going to last maybe three seconds, if it's lasting like five or 10, or if it's a grinder, you're probably, you know, you're not going to last very long in that job because you're going to be dropping shit so often. You want to, if you make it easy enough so it's a, it's always safe, even if it's a high effort during the day-to-day um, manual labor types of jobs. Whereas you go in the gym, you're intentionally picking up, you're trying to push yourself to the point where like literally you've, you've got failure at the muscular level. That's so far beyond what um, 
we normally are accustomed to that that i think is sort of at the heart and the root of the reason why it's such a great stimulus and stress to produce muscle growth so that's the key feature is that is that effort and you know if you if you first that's why when you go in and you start training for the first six months year two years growth is phenomenal in people that are at least responders and but eventually you have to you have to like it has to be something that's beyond your comfort level it has to be new and novel and doing sets of this at the same effort level with more volume does create novelty in the volume sense but i think in many cases that's that's limited um so that's sort of my take on it yeah so uh i'm glad that you finished on that note that's a very nice way to prompt me to my next question which is how to actually facilitate that because um and like I mentioned before, you're not so much in the low volume and high intensity or high volume and whatever intensity camp, you're the high effort guy, if I understand your kind of ethos well. So um, do you think, and, and I know a couple of people in the industry like you in that sense, like um, Joe Bennett, the hypertrophy coach is similar, I believe. Um, maybe Jordan Peters is, is similar, but I'm not that familiar with his work on this. But um do you think that those two approaches, so increasing the volume component and maybe leaving the intensity of effort component largely unchanged is equivalent to simply taking the sets that you're already doing and increasing how much you can get out of those individual sets? Um, do you think that those are largely equivalent in terms of how much extra growth they will produce? Or do you think that w one is inherently superior? I think, um, although it would be great if we could just, if I could just bifurcate things and give you a kind of a yes or no binary answer, I think it really so much strongly depends on the person. Um, so there are going to be people who train hard, who literally are going to simply, they, they're not going to up the training um, effort level in a way that would um, create for them the best environment for, for growth because they simply don't want to do that. They're simply not going to go there. And for those people, volume modulation is probably going to be a better option. So train hard. Um, and you know, the, the volume answer is probably a good one for them. And I think, you know, like Mike, Mike Israel obviously has become like he's the you know the volume the volume uh, king as far as conceptualizing and putting this idea to work. And I think Mike's even said to a lot of the people that he works with are beginnings and beginners and intermediates. So for some people, yes, that's going to be the that's going to be the way to go. And I'll I'll tell a story I've told it before, but it's just kind of a funny one. It's um, uh, I still laugh when I think about it. So years ago, when I owned my gym, uh, we were just starting out, and I had I think I'd been either I'd been sick. And I finally took some time off or I was coming back and sort of restarting DC training. And uh, the first trainer there at my gym back in Arizona um, wanted to do this with me. And he he's like was always asking, me like, I want to put on some size. I really want to grow. And I'm like, OK, well, you know, let's train together. We'll set aside some time. We'll train at this time of the day. The gym's quiet, blah, blah, blah. We're going to go after it. So we went through in the first we're doing the, the dog crap training, DC training, two way split. And we started with leg day and you finish that day with a Widowmaker. Are you familiar with the dog crap Widowmakers? 20 rep sets? Yeah, yeah, yeah. OK, so so we get through the workout and we get to the end there and we do the heavy sets. And I think we're on a Smith squad, actually. And um, I do my Widowmaker on the my 20 rep Widowmaker and I, you know, get done. And it was a pretty decent Widowmaker. I really like doing those and I and I literally kind of crawl out from under the bar 
and uh, you know, catch my wind. I look over, and he's still sort of sitting on his on the bench there. And I say, uh, I said, so what, what weight do you want on the bar? And he just looks at me, and says, I'm not doing that. And I'm like, I'm like, what? He's like, No, I'm done. I'm not doing that. I don't want to do that. And I'm like, oh, okay. He's like, you're like, it's like, no, I, just, I don't think I want to do this DC training thing. This isn't for me. It's just, it's just too much. I'm like, okay. And that was it. And that was the last time we trained together. He didn't even finish the workout because he's like. He saw the writing on the wall. He's like, this guy's a fucking animal. He's like, this is not what, how I want to train. And so he just didn't do it. And that was, it was great. Oh, I loved the honesty and he's a phenomenal guy. And he trained at, he was there at the gym the entire time I owned it. So some people just aren't suited for that. And other people don't have a governor that can hold them back. Um, I learned this myself many years ago. I would try high volume stuff and I just couldn't keep myself from taking as many sets as possible to failure. I'm better at this now. So, um, I don't know. Are you familiar with um, Fortitude training, my training system? Yeah, yeah. I, I have it. Have it. Okay, okay, good. So you know there that I have three volume tiers yeah. that I set out. So people, there's definitely a tremendous variability in the amount of volume that people can handle um, and when training as hard as they can. And some of that, though, is a function of training as hard as you can. Because as we said, what is maximal effort for one person is a breeze warm-up walk in the park set for another person. So um, those that could be part of it. Some of it can just be inherent differences in, in recovery abilities. And I've seen this um, sort of indirectly in years past when I did a lot of muscle damage, muscle soreness work when I was in grad school. And we'd have people who on paper looked identical in terms of their activity level. They hadn't been resistance trained strength levels, body size, we put them through the same um, sort of muscle insult, eccentric based damaging exercise protocol and come back and measure their muscle soreness um, and their strength loss and it's all over the place. So just gigantic variability. It's like, why would that be? Well, there's some, we can maybe get into there's some genetic reasons um, in terms of the um, various things that probably are, are somewhat explanatory of why that is. But so you've got some people who just can inherit, inherently recover better. Some people who dot their I's and cross their T's. They're making sure they're getting their sleep. Um, they don't have, uh, you know, jobs that keep them, you know, walking around, expending energy so they can eat plenty. They're not, they're not creating a, an interference effect by being on their feet and, you know, doing manual labor types of things. So they've got everything going for them. And then there's just the, the factor of, you know, some people just are going to have to do more volume because they just don't train as hard. They can't create the insult um, that others can. They just can't go there. They don't want to. They, they And it's just not the right answer for them. And literally adherence, you know, sticking with the program and carrying it out and squeezing all the, the water out of the rock of that program as long as you possibly can while you're making at least reasonable progress, I think is in the long haul, one of the most important things, being consistent and be willing to, you know, not program hop and not jump around from strategy to strategy and, 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 and microload, for instance, or even, you know, s small amounts or what will eventually add up over time. And it, it can take years for that to happen. But if you just, you know, if you're adding a, a pound, let's, let's say you add two pounds to a lift and you do that lift, you know, 15 times a year, that's 30 years. You do that for three years, that's almost 100 pounds to that lift. If that's a 300 to a 400 pound um load change in your working sets, that's going to show up in your physique, all other things being equal. So that's kind of where I where I stand there is that, you know, yeah, volume is going to be the answer for some people and, and you can do that. But um, it's kind of it's a function of so many other things. That it's really hard to say. I wish we could compare one versus the other. Um, there's a way that you could kind of test that 
experimentally with electrical stimulation and that just totally takes the uh, the uh, effort level side of the equation out because the the, qua the uh, um, contractions are evoked involuntarily <laughs> by the e-stem so how hard you want to train doesn't matter the e-stem is just turned on on a certain current and the muscle contracts maximally yeah and and, and some components of that is not even necessarily differences in genetics or um, nervous system characteristics but for example if i take myself I've gone recently more so in the high volume direction and the reason behind that is actually merely practical is that I am fairly injury prone but like my connective mm. tissue is yeah. is is just not very tolerant to super heavy loading so I know on a number of exercises I could load it more aggressively like I know that on some lifts, if you or a Joe Bennett were to look at me and I'm, I'm saying like, okay, I'm training, I'm leaving one or two reps in the tank, maybe you would look at me and say, dude, I guarantee you, if you work together with me for a couple of sessions, you can get four more reps out of that. And I would be like, you're probably right, but like, I am just scared that I'm going to hurt myself. So I would rather, you know, do a few more sets, a bit more submaximally. My sessions are going to be a bit longer and maybe not, not as much fun. But, you know, that's an effective way for me to stress my muscles, still exhaust them, cause a stimulus. And that's just a practical consideration in, in my case, for example. So that's something to take into account as well. Yeah. I mean, like literally if you do, I mean, gosh, if you do five, five sets and take them all to failure and compare that with, with eight sets and you leave, you know, one or two reps in reserve, you, you could get the same amount of growth on average for a given person. So that's a totally, and what matters, of course, is what you can, if those, if those five sets all to failure break you down and and this is the thing that i sort of alluded to earlier is that we have to and this is why this bar the latest barbalo study is so um so phenomenal i think is that they made these measurements let me see if i can pull this up so i can get the, the numbers right here yeah so they measured up uh, uh, 24 weeks out so they measured it pre, uh, so it was only pre 12 and 24 i thought they made more measurements but they have they had four different volume measurements and at 12 weeks you see a different picture in terms of what's happening muscle growth wise because at 24 weeks um in the highest volume group that's 20 sets per week for most of what i'm seeing here they're basically back down to the original muscle thick there was there was regression during the second half of the study so that's the type of thing you know that you would of course never do and that's that that's this is another a perfect example of this is if you were working with the clients and you started to see them regress well you would do a deload so there's you, you lose some ecological validity in a certain sense because no one would ever train this way when they're backsliding you know probably for the last you know six weeks of that second 12-week period they, they probably recognized what was going on there it probably was becoming evident in the training efforts if you if i use a perceived recovery status scale with my clients now it's just a zero to ten scale to kind of uh, give them um, uh, some uh, kind of a stopping point to sort of be mindful of what their recovery status is and if you started to see all those things kind of going back and the logbooks not moving well you would stop this is really nice that they actually documented this to show that like what what happens between the pre and the post measurements um, could be different than what you would presume if you if you just thought that the pre to post measurements dictate the ten, trend that's going to kind of continue continue forth forever. So there was literally an, an overtraining phenomenon here between 12 and 24 weeks in these higher volume groups. So the same thing for you. Like if you if you were to try to, you would be like overtraining in terms of overuse injuries. <laughs> literally, if you tried to do all those failure sets with heavier loads, you would just, you, it just not, it's not, um, not sustainable.
So that's a silly, there'll be a silly approach for you to take. So the practical practicality of it is that, you know, eventually um, you have to find ways to, if you want to continue to train heavy, you need to find ways to allow that to happen. And just banging away, like some people try to do on you know, exercises they become overly endeared to, is uh, is not the way to make that happen. R- rotating exercises, changing exercise order, um, you know, things like if you know squats are your go-to, and you may have to pre-fatigue with previous with other exercises for your legs before you go to squats. So you drop your load thirty percent, and then you get yourself out of that connected tissue um, damaging zone with the heavier loads that, uh, that you found is just not, not helpful for continue to progress. Yeah. Actually, can we get into exercise selection a little bit? Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, one thing that I've heard, uh, you guys talk about in that big episode with, um, Paul Carter is that, you know, a lot of people don't even take that into consideration that a lot of people are just married to exercises that are thrown out there as the must-haves like the squat the bench press and things like that and they just don't fit a lot of people and then maybe their legs are lagging and their solution is okay i'm just gonna do more squats like i'm just gonna add sets to my squats and it's kind of it's kind of like uh you know taking uh you're taking the wrong medicine and it doesn't work and then exactly uh, taking even more of that um so i'm wondering um have you had things like that in your training um, exercises which you had to switch out um, and that you were kind of emotionally attached to, like a squat or a bench or something, and you found something else that might not be as beasty, but they were just working better with your structure, for example? Hey guys, sorry, just a short interruption. Mainly doing this because people have been asking me a lot in private messages on Instagram and Facebook and email whether I'm doing online coaching and the answer is actually yes. Maybe I've been doing a bad job promoting this so far, but in each video description, if you go to the show notes, you will always see a Calendly link there where you can book a free call, where we can chat on a call for up to 45 minutes. We can talk about your goals, what you would like to achieve, and whether or not you and I are a good fit for a coach-client relationship and can effectively work together to achieve your goals in the most efficient way possible. So if that is something of interest to you, then you can check the show notes wherever you're listening or watching this. There will be a Calendly link where you can just book that free call and we can move forward from there. So that's all I had to say for now. Let's continue with the show. Squats, I, I went through that with squats. And I and I did, I went actually further than what I would suggest probably most people do. But I gave them a really good shot. I, I, I had squats as a staple for at least a, a, a solid decade. Oh, damn. Like, yeah, I mean, and I got to where I mean, these weren't like ass to grass squats, but I was I was had five eighty five on the bar. Oh man! And yeah, and I was getting you know sort of between the ninety degrees and parallel place, which is where I sort of felt a sweet spot was. And for me, I, I had my glutes were gigantic. I grew a gigantic ass from that, and I did not get the leg stimulation that I wanted. And I I actually could see that when I went back and looked at some of my stage pictures, where when I was doing those squats, and and you could see my my le- it actually made my legs look smaller when I would turn around because I had such uh, good glute development, which in and of itself isn't bad, but it wasn't doing the trick for me. And it just um in order to feel kind of comfortable and find a normal normal kind of groove there, and of course that was more of a power lifter, low bar type squat um, that uh, I was just end up doing work in the posterior chain and not even my hamstrings so much, just mainly just my glutes. 
in doing that. And, you know, if I, I, I've actually, a couple of years ago, I went back and I started doing high rep free bar squats and I found um, those to be productive. I was just doing Widowmakers. I started tossing them in, in um, just because I'm kind of a, a maniac. And I think I, I documented them for several weeks on, uh, on Instagram you know, for maybe several months, just trying to like eke out rep after rep and adding, you know, microloading the, the weights. And I got some something from that, but going heavy with barbell squats just didn't work for me. And I found now that I can, um, if I get in a Smith machine and actually I use a top squat bar attachment, which I get asked about all the time, uh, topsquat.com used to be where you could get it. Dave Draper came up with this. It's sort of a shoulder saver. So you don't have to pull your arms back around the bar. I just sort of would you know, tear up my, my shoulders trying to do that. This is a attachment. If you just look up top squat is one word you can find them. Is it like a safety bar handle or something? Yeah, it actually basically turns a barbell or a Smith bar into a safety bar. Oh. And I just have it in the back of my car. Just take it with me wherever I go. I've had it for like 15 years now, I think probably. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, it's great. It really, it really is nice. So I use that. It lets you control the bar, lock and unlock the, the bar on a Smith machine. And I can squat on a Smith machine because I'm guided into that, that range of motion um, and uh, choose the biomechanical pattern that gives me the activation pattern that I want in the legs. So I can squat and uh, um, with a Smith bar. And I really like those actually. Those are fun because they got that challenge, like that sort of, I think you call it beastly challenge that comes along with just like you're getting under the bar. It's just basically you and the bar and gravity going to town. Um, but I would have to just alter my biomechanics so much with heavier loads that it just wasn't working for me. So yeah, I, I gave up on it, but I gave it a shot. And I think that's one of the things that sometimes it depends on the person's mentality. You can kind of go two directions, like like all these things we've been talking about. There's so much inter-individual variability. Some people will just like so you gotta squat if you want big legs you gotta squat and because tom platt squatted <laughs> like it's okay tom platt said the biggest legs so that that was like that's the entire line of reasoning that they come up with and then some people were like well i just not built for squats and it's like well there's something to say for giving it a go you may just need some time to to iron out the right activation pattern the right uh squatting form you know you may not feel very comfortable doing a high bar olympic type squat like tom platt's used but if you can if you're if you're it may or may not be that your structure will allow that but but give it some time give it a couple years don't you have to do it every day but give it a couple years and sometimes literally it's interesting one of the things i've found i don't think i've ever mentioned this before on a podcast but Sometimes you find machines that are really well suited. They've got a really nice loading curve and um, they're just made for someone of about your size. It seems like it's almost like it's custom made for you, your personal biomechanical anatomical construction. Um, and it just feels, it makes it really easy to have a good mind muscle connection with whatever muscle you're trying to trying to target. And so you literally can get in that machine and, and you know fall in love with that one. And then you learn the activation pattern you learn how it's supposed to feel when you're connecting really well with the target muscle on that machine. And then when you go back to, let's say, a free free weight of some sort, let's say it's a squat. So let's say you've you know, you've come across like a, a hammer strength leverage squat machine that just is just awesome. A pendulum squat or something like that, like that you've never used before. It's like, oh, this is just beautiful. You know exactly how that feels. And then when you go back to a barbell squat, you've got that that uh, that motor pattern that you've learned, you know how it's supposed to feel when you're targeting those muscles the way you way you should, and now you see you're like, holy shit! It made like literally create almost uh, an epiphany of sorts that you know what I 
uh, what if I just put the bar really high and I just say, screw it on the weight. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't care if I have to, you know, put the two and a halves on each side and nothing else. If I do them like this, it feels just like that machine, which I love, which hits me right where I want. And I can, I can do squats with this, with this just subtle shift. Sometimes it's larger, sometimes it's smaller, but with this sort of mindset in place, and I can take what I learned from that machine and apply it to the um, to the bar and get the effect I want. And so you can literally, you know, sort of bring bring a, a motor learning pattern, transfer a motor learning pattern from a machine that you that was like set up to teach you how to have a good mind muscle connection, and then apply that on other exercises. So that's why I went back to the Smith bar to the the barbell squatting. Like years later, I'm like, you know, you know, I think I've got a better mind muscle connection now than I did, you know, ten. I've been training for like 38 years, so there's kind of a long gap here. But, you know, I've been, been quite a few years but since I had barbell squat. I'm like, well, I'm going to get barbell squatting another shot. I'll use my top squat. And I'm like, you know what? I can, I get, I feel, I feel this. I like how this feels when I do these with a higher rep range. I can do these and make these, I think, an effective leg builder for me. And so that's what I did. And that was because I had had so much experience, at least just my perception of it, so much experience with having done good squatting movements um, in the way that I want to with a nice strong mind muscle connection that I then was able to take that mind muscle connection those previous experiences and reapply those years after I'd kind of given up on the barbell squat and then and sort of re-enlist that at least for the time being as a um, as a staple for that year or so that I did that yeah do you think um, it ever happens and maybe this is something I've heard with you on, on a podcast but but I could be wrong that there are just movements which bang you up for uh, earlier earlier on in your journey and then like kind of like certain joints just learn to adapt to certain movement patterns so maybe something that was messing up your knees before or your shoulders or something you just kind of have to give it time and they get used to it and it doesn't bang you up anymore do you think that ever happens um i mean i think there there are some some actually like I I can't even think about doing like a skull crusher yeah. without my tricep tendons like starting to ache. So like that one, I, I you know, I don't want to ever come back to. Um, I, I, there have been times like when I'm training with someone else and I'm like, I, I'll, let me just try this with the bar and I can tell right away. But yeah, I think what you're getting at is that um, you can you can learn how to produce an activation pattern that, that I, I believe it. This is just pure like kind of bro science, you know, in the trenches perception is that you can probably uh, end up ha learning how to create the preferential better activation patterns that create joint stability such that an exercise that you tried once that just you couldn't get to work for you might work better. Like there like there was sometimes one when, when I've noticed before and I haven't... I think I've tried, actually, I think I've tried this machine. So sometimes hack squats that like not the barbell hacks, but machine hack squats at a 45 degree angle that have your feet at sort of a good degree of plantar flexion um, can cause a lot of shear stress in the knee and the um, patellofemoral pain. It just, you feel like your kneecaps are about ready just to fly across the room. And there was a, there was a machine at one of the gyms back in Arizona that, you know, I really wanted to use because they had limited exercise possibilities there. And, and I would like every once in a while, I'm like, okay, my knees are feeling good. I give it a shot. And I mean, I literally, I, I used to just bang myself in the head after like tearing up my knees because I'm like, I should know better. I'd wake up every single time I did those and my knees would hurt. Um, and um, there's one, the sim, actually it's the same machine, I think a different year, and it's the, it's here at a gym in town. And and I can't actually, I'm, I'm very cognizant of that now, and I can't actually use that. Um, but I have to be really, really focused on form in a way that I probably wasn't before. Um, 
and you know I probably using different foot placement I think is one thing I know that helps so feet higher and wider um, seems to help me but yeah I think I think most definitely you'd learn how to do those exercises better and it's really kind of subtle things um, that you I mean if, if you spend enough time training people or watching people in the gym or having trained with people who've been at it for a long time um, there's 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 something to say that there's a subtle um, almost ineffable you could probably discern it you know if you're a, a highly trained biomechanist but there's something to say for for people who just really know how to find what what Dante Trudeau would call a kind of a power groove in their exercises they know how to sort of um, set up the sequencing of the muscle activation and the way in which the muscles are called into play to move the weight that just does a great job with the mind muscle connection does a great job of of uh, of avoiding that kind of joint pain which some people might might uh, experience and like an example that a lot of people can relate to this the same sort of thing is how how variable it is in people's ability to like just throw like you like it's amazing like you just some people like you just say just throw this toss them a ball and you say just try to throw this and it's like it's like they're a, a baby fawn trying to walk for the very first time that they've never thrown anything yeah. before and then you look at like, you know, a professional baseball player, you know, or a football player, you know, even ones that aren't quarterbacks and like they've been throwing their entire lives. And it's just like, they're just having a conversation and like, it's just, it's beautiful. It's like, it's effortless how, the, how they throw. There's no, and they could do that, you know, again, obviously baseball players have all sorts of joint issues because of you know, how hard they're throwing and, and what they're doing, but um, they're motor patterns are so dramatically different and the same thing happens in the gym i think over time you get better take that person who can't throw for shit and you know put them in a scenario where they're throwing all the time maybe they've got a child and they learn to throw and they'll, they'll learn how to throw so you can learn how to how to do exercises and learn how to like just become a better if you can throw a baseball better than a football and you maybe even get better at throwing like things like even a frisbee or something like that there could be some motor carryover and especially if you're talking about squatting exercises as a as a group you can learn how to you know become a better uh, activator of the thigh muscles when squatting versus the glutes and the low back and then carry that over to an exercise that once just didn't work for you because you didn't have the skill level you didn't have the generalized skill level to carry over and to be able to pick up that um that skill and just get it over the years so yeah i think i think what you're saying is absolutely a possibility because i've seen it myself yeah um one last thing on the exercise selection thing like um how do you feel about the romanticization whatever that's probably not how you say it, um of like compound lifts versus isolation and i guess the most um uh, concrete or obvious example here would be something like a knee extension versus a squat purely for the quads because i mean if you were to actually look at how complete a movement is in terms of targeting that specific muscle group i mean a knee extension is pretty much unbeatable if, if you're looking at the actual profile of the exercise, like a squat, except for a select few that can just squat like with amazing, like they are just built for the squat completely, even for them probably, but you know, maybe those would be exceptions. A knee extension should, in theory, at least be actually superior to something like a squat. Like how do you, do, do you think uh, that a squat is superior to a knee extension, for example, for some other reason or... What do you think about this? That's an awesome. That's a phenomenal topic. I love that topic, man. Um, Thank you. Yeah. If you, if, oh yeah, no, because it's, it's, it's one I thought about, I, and I have talked about this a few times. And there's, there's a, it's just, it's just uh, you can dig around this topic in so many different ways. Um, so the first thing that that kind of comes to mind is that 
overall, like it, just in progress. And and so the when you when you said romanticizing the idea of compound movements versus isolation movements, um, you know the the, the romantic notion I think is, is is based on what people sort of see empirically, like who is making the best gains overall: the people who squat a lot or the people who do, do lots of knee extensions. And I mean, <laughs> I've actually seen this. It's always bizarre. Like, I've seen people doing knee extensions while they're reading the newspaper. You know, anyone can do a knee extension. Um, it's a no-brainer. There are even people I've, you know, I've seen people before um, who do a knee extension and they look down. They don't even know what muscle they're training. <laughs> it's right there in front. They can see the muscle contracting. The, you know, you would think they could, they could, you know, locate proprioceptively the muscle that's supposedly <laughs> being fatigued and, and aching, but they can't tell which muscle they're using. So the knee extension um, is a very poor litmus test for someone's desire to train hard to make muscle muscle gains, muscular gains. Whereas a squat is a great indicator, I think. So you say if you just say, well, who are the you know uh, who are the people like? Would you rather squat or do knee extensions? And I think if you like and ask people to raise yeah. their hands and you split them up and then you said, okay, you know, let's let's do a, a double blind and let's just who has the biggest legs. I think you could probably guess with some accuracy where you're going to find the bigger legs. It's going to be among the people who like to squat. So I think that's where that notion kind of kind of comes from. I think there's really a lot. There's a massive amount to that. Pardon the pun. There's really a lot to say for for what that uh, what that entails. There's a study that I found. I'm just going to toss this out because it's it's kind of cool. I just um, I don't know how I found it. It's one one that I'm you know I, I find these studies and I make notes you know to include them in future writings. But um, it was an interesting study they had. They had three groups and they trained um, one group with upper body only training. And it was pretty much a kind of a complete um, upper body training program. Um, and uh, so I don't remember the number of sets total, but they had that group. They had another group that did lower body training um, only. And uh, it was complete, you know, hamstring curls, knee extensions, squats, calves, et cetera, et cetera. And then the, the other group was a full body training program. So all the groups trained three times a week and literally the total, total volume of exercise was about the same. So the full body training group that trained three times a week, just like the other two groups, um, didn't do as many sets for upper body or as many sets for lower body. It wasn't like they just combined the upper and the lower body training regimes. They just did a full body training um, session every day. And they gained more muscle mass. Um, and they just used, I think, used BIA. So a really, unfortunately, was not the best measure of body composition. But they looked at um, the folostatin to myostatin ratio. So folostatin uh, inhibits myostatin's actions at the myostatin receptor, and myostatin is not something you want because it slows muscle growth. So they had a greater increase and a larger decrease, a greater increase in folostatin, a larger decrease in myostatin, the group that trained um, their full body uh, three times a, a week. And it, it, may, it makes me kind of made me kind of wonder, you know, there's lots of ways to look at this. This is something to sort of follow up on, but the full body training seemed to have, have, have an effect on full body growth. And the first thing that I thought to myself was, holy shit, gosh, how often, this is talk about old bro science lore, but how often is like people would say, you know, you just got to squat and it'll make your whole body grow. And there's evidence like right there, like literally they were squatting the other group and there's probably, and, and talk about hormesis, this is, I've started, so, so why would this, so the lower body group was, they were doing the squats too, but 
maybe like when you once you get to a certain number of sets, then the effect on folostatin and myostatin is sort of plateaus off or maybe even becomes too much. They may have been like you're doing too much in training lower body three times a week um, over the course of the full study to get that positive impact on folostatin and myostatin. It may have been like they, they're beyond the optimization point of that inverse U. And now they're literally sort of um, pushing towards maybe not completely overtraining because they did make progress, but... So maybe it's, you know, the full body training has something to say, something that has an effect via full statin and myostatin, because that's what the study showed. It really pointed in that direction. Um, so they didn't, they didn't tease out that they have some issues because they didn't match volume. The, the group that did full body didn't do the same volume of lower and upper body as the other two groups. But they matched volume overall, and it was actually more ecologically sound because doing both of those programs combined would have been way too much, I think. The number of sets just would have been way too, way too and they were training to failure, so to speak, in this, in this program. So I wanted to toss that in because it does kind of, you made me think of it when you mentioned the squatting versus um, just doing knee extension in terms of quad growth is that there that who knows if there's something there's something to say for maybe sort of that that local effect of myostatin and folostatin release um, and also there's something to say I think for just generally and this is this this could be at the at the get-go when you when you talk about who, who would rather squat or who would rather rather uh, knee, do knee extensions the people who would rather squat are going to be more psychologically inclined to train hard but doing the harder exercises also i think sets the bar for effort level at a higher place than doing just isolation exercises does and and that i think is something that carries over so when it's like you know you've done your squats you know you've done your leg presses you've done your heavy lunges whatever it may be and now you're just going to do knee extensions or nothing like that's just like and you can you can blast those and it doesn't create nearly the inroads into your recovery that the other things do so pr relatively speaking and i mean there's some also some interesting interesting studies if you look across and i, I wrote an article it's a little bit old now for muscle mag it's on my on my website in the discussion section i think for just anyone can go there you don't have to register you can just download it for free it's on um I think it's, they titled it Discover the Afterburn. It's about excess post-exercise oxygen consumption. And I just looked at all the literature that was available at the time on that. And um, use, there's a number of studies showing, well, overall, basically, the level of effort that you put forth in general is determinant of the epoch. So if you like go do like half an hour or even an hour of like kind of moderate intensity endurance exercise, you won't really get much. If you go all out at like lactate threshold, as hard as you can for an hour, you can get an epoch that's maybe 50 calories or something like that. Um, if you do intervals, that's where, you know, people, this is when people are starting to really want to focus on intervals for fat loss. You can get a more substantial excess post-exercise oxygen consumption. The effort level's there. You see, sort of see the same thing with resistance exercise. There's a number of studies where they have people go and do like circuit training, you know, so like literally they've got a series of machines and you're doing like, you know, pull down and knee extension and hamstring curl and pec deck you know, and side lateral machine, overhead press. And, and it's all like kind of, there's some compound exercise in there, but lots of isolation exercises and, you know, one minute rest in between. And most people, you know, you can only go at about what would 
be around 60% of VO2 max. If you're doing circuit training like that, you just, you just don't, you don't train, you just, you just don't go that all that hard in terms of energy expenditure overall. And they weren't seeing the epoch was like nothing. And then there's a study by Shanky, S-C-H-E-U-N-K-E, where they had, if I believe it was a total of 12 sets and they measured the epoch over the next like 36 hours. I can't remember the details exactly, but they did like, I think they did, they did 12 sets total. I think with two minutes rest in between, and this is and this actually sort of relates if you relate this back to the Schoenfeld study, people can kind of make the comparison in their head. And I think they were doing uh, 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 squats, four sets of squats, four sets of bench press, and I think four sets of like a hang clean, like a power clean, but just like, like pull off the four clean as high as you can. So it wasn't so much of a skill component there. And with two minutes rest in between, maybe three minutes between the exercises, and there are eight sets of eight to twelve to failure. So they're done in and out of there in like, you know, 30 minutes or so. But you can imagine how brutal that was. So eight, like do your 10 rep max on a squat. Let's say, let's say you can do 315 and you, and you barely get that 10th rep. Two minutes later, you're getting 10 more. Get back under the bar, buddy. And then two minutes later, they're having to adjust the load. You do, you do that again. And then two minutes later, you do that again. It's like, okay, now we're going to bench press. You know, get over here. Maybe they do a warm-up set. And now you're taking and even bench press. You know, a really hard bench press or just a compound bar press to failure, can you can get gassed out to some degree on that. And then, of course, the hand cleans were, were just crazy. Half an hour, and their their epoch was like over 800 calories extended over the 36 hours. And there's another study, I think the first name is Paoli, where they did a rest pause. Yeah, and you've seen that one probably. And they had a tremendous epoch there too. Um, same kind of thing, taking large muscle group um, exercises to failure. So there's something's going on there in terms of the overall stress. You, you see it in terms of the, the myostatin and the folostatin. You see it in terms of the epoch. Um, of course, that's going to, assuming you eat enough, that's going to drive your hunger up eventually. Um, you know, you're gonna you're gonna want to eat like there's the, the the total stress that comes on the system from doing if you can persist in doing squats um, you can hang in there and do those year after year I think that's going to be a better bet uh, overall and you take two people who are just you know identically motivated and you just have them you know do knee extensions versus squats and you compare one versus the other you know in more of sort of a, a, a standardized research setting where you've you know you you're you're trusting that your randomization procedures have equalized motivation and all the other factors that might contribute to muscle growth um, in one versus the other form of training the quads, then yeah, there's reasons exactly why you said like the knee extension is just the quad. You know, if you're thinking about what's your likelihood of getting full motor unit activation when you're just doing this quad, it's a smaller muscle group versus uh, the the squats, probably better in the quad because it's just less muscle. You know, your, your, your nervous system has less to worry about there. It's only the quad. You probably, you may have better range of motion too, if you've got a really good knee extension machine. Blah blah blah. All those things apply, but I think um, in the uh, in the real world, uh, the people that are squatting are going to do better off, or finding the exercise that's the hardest one they can find that they where they have a good strong mind muscle connection with. It's just not for the sake of like picking the hardest freaking exercise. Like you could do like zercher squats, you know, that just tear up your arms and you know just feel like feel awful. Or front squats because they make you feel like you're going to pass out because you're gassing, you know. You can't breathe. I don't like to do front squats for anything more than like 10 reps. I really don't do them much at all because there's it's like that doesn't let me focus on the muscle mass. So harder is not always better, but harder 
there is something to say for find, for those people who will find the hardest exercises to do and will persist in doing them. Those are the, that's a, like I said, that's sort of a litmus test and an indicator for future success, I think. Hey guys, just a second. Are you enjoying this podcast? If so, I'd really appreciate you dropping a five-star rating on the Sustainable Self-Development Podcast on iTunes. That will help me to grow this podcast, rank higher on the platform, and get more high-quality guests over time, which is a win-win for everybody. So if you could do this little bit of favor for me, I'll owe you one. Thanks a lot, guys, and let's continue. Yeah. Um, so since we are <laughs> coming up on two and a half hours... Um... Oh, shit, we are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, told you, man. I told yeah. you. Uh, and this is going to be a part where I'm going to be a shitty interviewer. I'm just going to jump around a little bit um, with some uh, brief okay. questions. Speed round. Um, yeah, speed round. Uh, do you train your abs? And do you think that for people who are lacking uh, a good-looking set of abs, even when they are lean, not like shredded to the bone <laughs> lean, but, ooh, geez. For, for, for a second, I thought you snapped at me that I'm asking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's enough. Two and a half hours is my limit. <laughs> No, that's blitzy. There's someone obviously threatening the whole uh, my domicile here, so she's keeping us safe. Oh, gotcha. So, um, do you think that for people that don't have a good-looking set of abs when they are lean, it's important for them to train their abs, or it's just a matter of like body fat levels? And if your abs look like shit, then <laughs> well, that they look like shit. No, this 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 question or sort of a variant on this question came up. Yeah, I do train my abs. Um, actually, several times a week. Either either every other day or actually lately I've been training every time I train, so it's probably four times a week. Um, but I don't do much. The abdominal, the rectus abdominis muscle is, as far as I know, as far as I found, it's mixed fiber type. You know, any evidence suggesting that you'd want to like do a high rep type training with your abs doesn't um, doesn't hold. You don't yeah. want to try to train abs with like you know sets of five because you've got your your spine to worry about. But developing a really um, strong core um, through doing targeted rectus abdominis training is will build big thick abs and most people don't have to worry about you know their obliques being like overblown um some people do have that issue and that's kind of a whole other whole other question but yeah absolutely if you really are like completely lean um you know you're down to like true contest stage and your abs don't look um really pretty good then it could just be that that's that's just kind of the shape of your rectus abdominis muscle it just doesn't the um the transverse inscriptions there just just don't give you the appearance of a really sharp looking six-pack um we actually talked about uh someone sent me a message i can't remember which even medium it was sent on but um we talked about this in a podcast and he said he one of the things he noticed when he gets on stage is that his abs will look kind of flat like that until he's filled up so his abs really need to need to be carved up just like any other muscle and that may be true for people who do a higher rep ab stuff who are training dieting down in their pre-contest and their carbs are low and they're you know becoming more ab focused than they were before so maybe their rectus abdominis the abdominal musculature is even more glycogen depleted than it would be otherwise and they get really lean and now literally the ab musculature is flat in terms yeah. of being low on glycogen and water and they just need to fill up um, which is you know can be a delicate process because you don't want to create distension you can have you know this great turtle shell but the turtle shell ab look is not what you want you want the the tight abs with the small waist at the same time so yeah but uh, i think a lot of times it's just going to be lack of of muscle mass there and you can get that through progressive overload just got to be careful you know watch your if people have a low back issue a lot of people have really tight um erector spinning muscles a lot of people have really tight hip flexors especially so you gotta just gotta be careful with you know doing it ab training i i would tell most people keep it above at least 12 reps 15 reps oh absolutely 
but yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's actually I've been very. I had a recent stint or a recent training block in the past one or two months where I've been hammering them pretty much daily, um, and wasn't obsessive over progression and adding weight. I was just focusing on that mind muscle connection, and I found um, cable crunches, mm-hmm. like basically lying down on a bench and just uh, using the cable stack behind me. And sitting up without any feet anchoring, just moving from the upper body. And the range of motion is pretty small. Like someone would look at that and it's like, man, like you should be sitting up Mm -hmm. completely. But it completely allows me to train my abs without my hip flexors being involved. And it just feels wonderful. It doesn't hurt my back. And the other one is a cable crunch variation uh, or a cable reverse crunch, basically. So I'm lying also on the bench and hooking up my legs with the glute kickback straps, you know, and just hooking mm-hmm. the cable on uh, onto that. And just, yeah, once again, mind-muscle connection, uh, slight pelvic tilt to tilt my, um, my pelvis up using my lower abs, and it just bees the crap out of the abs and no back pain. And I'm just so happy that I found these because I was struggling for a long time with either my hip flexors being banged up or getting lower back yeah. pain. So you might try um, one of my literally sometimes the best, actually probably more often than not, the best ab machine in many gyms. And this was sort of a running joke. So some people listening to this might laugh is uh, using a seated hamstring curl. Yeah, I was hoping that you would bring it up because I saw your video. <laughs> yeah, like I got a video. I was doing all sorts of things on there. But those are those are phenomenal. As long as you can, you know, safely get your feet, you know, in there, and you're, you know, you're not going to hurt yourself otherwise. I mean, that's probably, you know, probably a liability issue. But I tell you what, those feel great. Those feel phenomenal. Um, and the thing about ab training, you know, I guess we're going into exercise tips is like literally, as far as the rectus abdominis goes, your the action there is spinal flexion. You know, or or if you're if you're doing like kind of reverse crunch, you could, you know, you could call it. Um, you know, a pelvic, posterior pelvic tilt, so to speak. But basically, it's it's, it's the flexion at the spine, not flexion at the hip, which is what the hip flexors do. So if you're feeling it all in your hip flexors and your rectus femoris, um, that's not the way to go. I've got another exercise, like really early, early. One is one of my first Instagram posts where I show a, a variation that I've used a lot in the past where you kind of you get yourself set up on a decline bench that you could just do like decline regular crunches on. And then you, you have to have strong hip flexors to make this happen. But you, you lift yourself up to 45 degrees or so, whatever a nice comfortable angle is. You just hold your hips in place. So there literally is no movement at the hips. And then you allow within your comfort zone, of course, if you're, you have to have a decently strong back and a healthy back for this too. But you can arch your back to basically do the eccentric and then crunch into the concentric. And it's all basically, it's a, like you said, a very subtle and small movement, but it's basically spinal extension and spinal um, uh, flexion with no movement at the hip. So no hip extension, hip flexion. And when I'm teaching people this in the gym, I'll put my hand or like ball my hand into a, into a fist on their low back and say, I just want you to curl your low back over my hand. And maybe I'll even put my hand down kind of near their um their sacroiliac joint and say, I don't want your, I don't want to feel your hips pressing back and forth into my hand. There shouldn't be any movement at the hip joint here on this. And if you can do just like 10 reps, like in that position where you're leaning back that way and you're sort of like, um, you're sort of floating in air and with the, with the crunch, you've got nothing holding you, supporting your hips in that spot. You've got decent abs and you've got strong hip flexors. Those are very, very difficult to do, but you can see them in that, in that video, you can see that basically it's just what you really want in all your ab exercises. If you're wanting to focus on the abs specifically, is just the, the flexion at the spine, at the lumbar spine. Yeah. I'll have to look at that video of yours up. 
Uh, sounds like yeah, they're tough. I, I've had people <laughs> try them. So I can't do one of those. I'm like, okay, that's good. At least you're doing it the right way. People, it's not at all a sit up. People just want to flop back and forth and do a sit up. Um, but it's not a sit up. It's basically it's just the crunching portion at the lumbar spine minus any of the hip flexion movement. It's very they're very tough. Yeah. Um, and then um, another uh, quick uh, question doesn't have to be answered in a quick manner. But how do you feel about uh, deloads, um, pre-planned versus auto-regulation? And uh, what I'm doing, I don't do any pre-planned deloads, basically, where I'm like, okay, I'm going to accumulate for four weeks, and then I'm going to take one week at submaximal weights or whatever. It's just like I take it one session at a time, and if I cannot hit my rep target on a given exercise, then depending on the exercise and how taxing it is, I will reduce loads um, and maybe just abort subsequent sets altogether. Or if something hurts, obviously, I'm just going to maybe skip the exercise. If, let's say, I was going to do squats and something feels off, or if I'm just like, man, I'm just not, I just don't have it today, maybe I'll just do leg extensions instead and some glute work or maybe just skip that exercise altogether. And, you know, if something, I just feel like my performance is not up there, I'm just going to reduce the load a little bit and do some higher rep kind of pump work on that exercise. And there's kind of my micro deloads in many sessions and they kind of sprinkle in and they add up over the course of the year. So that's how I deload. Do you think that that's um, being reckless uh, or, <laughs> or or what, what do you think about the whole deload thing? You're, you're, you're training like an asshole, man. I just have to tell you, <laughs> I'm just totally <laughs> joking. Totally joke. No, that's I think so. That the 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 issue with autoregulation, of course, is that it is a subjective process. And um, you know, I have a friend of mine. Um, actually, she just tried to call me not long ago, and, and she used to always say, "I don't know. I live in here." That was her response to things. She's like, "I don't. I can't tell. Like, I, I, from the outside because I live in here. I'm actually on the inside." So having preplanned deloads, um, or at least using those or forcing those upon yourself for someone who's not entirely, absolutely 100% certain that they can auto-regulate to the best of their ability in, in a way that behooves them maximally is a good way to kind of check in on that. So it's like, if you're moving along and you're thinking, you know, I'm doing pretty good. And if I had my druthers, um, I'd argue, I just kind of auto-regulate in this way, the way I'm doing, I just keep on, keep on keeping on. And you self-impose a forced deload and you come back and you're like, holy shit, wow, I, I had no idea. Like I was, I was sort of like, I was definitely functionally overreaching yeah. here. I've, I've, I've got some progress that I was m missing out on because I wasn't pulling back and deloading. Then that would tell you that you may have to institute those now and again. Um, but if you, um, if you don't find that that's the case and you just find like it, it's not doing much for you, then what you're doing is like you, 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 there are pieces of the way you do things that I've put into fortitude training. You, you may have recognized this when you when you read the book, but one of the things that I have people do is auto-regulate their exercise selection. So there's three set types there. The loading sets are the ones that you really are kind of, um, you've, you've chosen under yourself. These are the ones you can grow with that you choose to do that you want to do. And you rotate amongst those and, you know, progressively try to kick the logbook's ass on, on a regular basis. And so that's, those are sort of as close to set in stone. But even those, if you go in, you're like, you know, you get under the squat bar and you're like, I got a niggle in my hip. This is not, this isn't, this isn't a smart day to push the squats and you don't do it. You just have to have some common sense. But the other set types, the, the muscle rounds, and especially the pump sets, in fortitude training are auto-regulated 
in pretty much exactly the way you the way you cho- way, way you explained. So you go in and you say, you know, um, this happened just uh, was it yesterday for me? Yeah, it was just it was like there would be days when I when I go in and um, you know it's like ah, man, I I just like I want to just kick the shit out of my back today, and I will go, you know, and I'm, and the, it's a muscle round day, and I like I just done rack deads previously for the loading sets. But I still, there's just something, I slept well, all the, the stars and the moon have aligned and I want to go for it. So I'll end up doing like, you know, T-bar rows and bent over barbell rows or something like that. Kind of the two kind of heaviest, most neurally taxing exercises just because I feel like I can handle those. And then other days be like, okay, low back's tender. <laughs> we need to kind of chill here and I'll do like a supported machine row, something like that. And that is a way to auto-regulate literally throughout the course of your of a, of your training cycle, which in your case is sort of a continuous one to keep things going. And yeah, it 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 I mean it's really it's it's funny like there there's something to say and it's always a balance there's something to say for being hard-nosed and wanting to push yourself and in probably your average trainee you know average gym goer um most of whom you know are, are have dropped out by the 12 months after they signed up for their membership so you know that kind of tells you about their level of of consistency and direction and and uh their fortitude pardon the pun um is you want to have that you want to be able to like sort of like say i'm going to do this come high, hell or high water this is what's on the on the on the blocket for today the docket for today i'm going to kick ass and take names no matter what but it also it's if you're heading you know if it says drive 60 miles an hour in this direction and you see the wall coming then you should make a turn don't run into the wall if you know it's there like that's just silly and that's something that i figured out Years ago, it took me quite a while to figure it out. And having talked to lots of people, John Meadows is one person who talks about this a good bit, is that you just have to train smart too if you want to keep doing this for as long as possible. And what I've found, like one of the greatest things that I've found in getting feedback about fortitude training is people, older guys, who have not quite known you know, how to avoid those, those injuries that just keep on recurring. Because in the system, literally the dictate is to auto-regulate exercise selection based on how you feel on that particular day. And you can even jump volume tiers if you need to, you know, to keep things moving. Um, they find that those those little injuries, those nagging injuries tend to sort of fade away. The stretching probably helps, but just like going and continually doing an exercise that just re, uh, re-aggravates a chronic overuse type of injury because it's on your training plan is just sort of silly. Um, there'll be plenty of decades to squat in the future. The bar is not going anywhere and gravity is going to be around for a long time so you can always come back to it but if you create an injury i mean i i talked to somebody um he's an ifb pro here in town he's actually got great longevity but like it was about a year ago and so when i was doing those barbell squats and he's like he's like what's that thing for and it was my top squat so i'm gonna so i, I use this to squat and he's like you still squat i said yeah i still squat squat as much as i can i love to squat <laughs> you know i mean he just meant kind of squat in general he doesn't squat. He just does leg presses because he's, you know, it's just so, and it was like, like you still squat? Like, like, how can you possibly st- still be doing that? And it's like, well, I, I don't squat on days when I don't feel like it makes sense to squat. Just don't, just, you just don't do it. So what you're doing, I think is good for, for long, long-term um, health. And, you know, you also like, you're, 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 you're staying away from the heavy loading stuff. It seems like it really kind of taxes your, the connective tissue more so than, you know, is, is worth 
the potential stimulus that you get. Um, that makes sense too. So you you can do that. Um, so uh, as long as your psychology is, is staying high and you're being honest about whether you're just being obsessive and you feel like like if, if I took time off, I wouldn't know what the fuck to do with myself. Yeah. Um, you know, like so there's yeah. something to say for that. So as far as like if you're asking for you know my advice, I think what you you've got a lot of really awesome components in place but it would be interesting to see like um just like once a year like if you took a week off you know um and don't like you know don't plan for that week by like intentionally sort of driving yourself into the ground so that you you feel okay about taking the week off just keep doing what you're doing as if you were gonna not have that week off and take the week off or five days or something like something substantial it's it's really complete divergence from your normal training regimen where you're not doing anything and come back and see what happens and that would give you you know the check checkpoint because like like my friend says you live in there so you don't you don't know until you sort of step out of your routine stop training for a while you don't have to do that like every three months i don't think having a force deal at every four weeks if you don't, if you're making good progress, that's just silly, I think. But every once in a while to kind of check yourself, you know, I think makes sense. Because I mean, I I have to do this. I, one thing I have to try to keep in in my head is sort of um, the fact that I mean, I, I really don't know shit. The more I, the more I start to learn, the more I realize I don't know a whole hell of a lot. So I have to have kind of a, a beginner's mind, a beginner's mindset. It's like, okay, you know, I, there's all sorts of things I could be completely wrong about. There's certain things I'm pretty sure about, but nothing's ever certain. So, I mean, who knows? Maybe I've been I've been doing this wrong for 30 years. It's possible. And I've been making progress despite myself. So I'm open to new stuff. And so I, keeping that in place is, it just, um, it actually makes things fun because it opens up opportunities for exploration, that kind of stuff. But it's also, it's also a good way to, um, I think, uh, keep from actually hurting yourself and 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 continuing to do stuff that isn't in your in your best interest yeah so yeah in paper it may sound crazy what i'm doing uh for a lot of people but actually if you're looking at what i'm actually doing i'm, I'm one of the mo- most most conservative people that i know in the gym <laughs> with right. my the things that i'm doing so it's important to keep that in mind um can I ask you one last question, which I really wanted to get to, but um, if you, you got to go or you have a hard stop, I'm completely understanding. Of no, that. it's good, man. Let's do it. Finish strong. Cool. Cool. So the the very last thing I want to get into is that um, you are someone who likes being an animal in the gym and like mm-hmm. to push yourself to the limit. Um and I myself am like that as well, just in different ways, uh, maybe more so in the volume uh, quantity component and not so much in the, the effort component. But um, the thing is that that tends to get into other areas of life as well, where it's just hard to switch off. And obviously, we know that recovery and sleep are very important. And it's always refreshing for me to hear uh, when other people that I look up to are also bad sleepers, <laughs> naturally, because I... Because I'm a horrible sleeper, and, and pretty much anything I do in life that is bad, such as under eating or you know dieting or something, anything that imposes stress on me, immediately impacts my sleep. And sometimes even making great progress in the gym and being enthusiastic about that, even that impacts my sleep because I'm just too excited. Um, I literally stopped reading like nonfiction, business, and inspirational kind of books before bedtime because it's like fuck, I'm getting inspired instead of getting sleepy here. Like, I cannot do this. So I'm liter- literally only reading, like, these dumb football player uh, biographies before bed um, that are kind of crap, but at least they put me to sleep. That makes sense, um, though. Yeah, yeah, like, literally, I'm trying to be as dumb and shallow in the evening as possible. Just nothing nothing that hypes me up. 
So I'm wondering, like, how do you go about um, both being able to be a beast when you need to be, but also just switching off and chilling when that's appropriate? Like, what are some strategies that helped you? Hmm. Well, um, it's fun. it's interesting because I mean, there have been times in the years past when I would sort of focus my um, fo focus my anger, focus my stresses, focus my dissatisfaction, the things you know that piss me off during the day, and and sort of um, you know channel those and try to like let those out in the gym and make that sort of my outlet. And I think that that works for some people, works really well. Literally, that can be a time where you go in and sort of empty that stuff. Um, and every once in a while that, my God, it's pretty rare now that that actually happens. But every once in a while, you know, something will creep into my mind just because, you know, something happened. It was, you know, frustrating enough to, to make me want to, to make me think about it again. But for the most part, when I'm in the gym, I, I, I'm the, probably the closest person that I've ever sort of seen train. And I, and I do this like when I'm alone, if I'm training at my home gym here or one of the gyms that I've got a membership here, I got because I can go in early in the morning and there's no one there. Literally, I have the whole gym to myself. And I'll, I'll just, I'll be kind of like Ronnie Coleman. If you ever watch some of his videos where he's just talking to himself and having fun and, and screaming, it's like literally kind of a party. And I'm that guy every once in a while. I, I, don't, I don't think about it too much, but I'm that guy that's singing sometimes to himself. He's like totally out of tune and he thinks he's singing, you know, perfectly with the, the song on his on his headset but i know i'm not but i'm just having fun like literally it's um you know like ronnie's getting all whooped up to do like an 800 pound squat or whatever that's sort of that goes through my head a lot of times like i'm having fun with things so um that sort of animalistic tear into it type of perspective is not one that i really have to turn off because what i'm doing in the gym is just a continuation of of having fun and enjoying life it's kind of the same sort of the same thing as if you're like cruising down the highway with the top down you know and you've got a you know a good song on the radio and you're just just having a good time so it's fun it's positive it's joyful it's um it's it's even even when all the pain is is there and all the drive like this is like it's like it's like driving a you know a sports car like you're screaming down the Indy 500 runway that's exhilarating it's it's positive so it's not something I necessarily want to turn off. Um, it's it's sort of like you can imagine if someone, let's say they did like, you know, the Indy 500 and they just, you know, or they just ran a really fast race and they plopped down and they're just like, that was awesome. That was great. That fucking rocked. <sighs> and they sit down and they relax and they and they went from a, a one sort of joyful, highly energized, ecstatic state that was full of happiness and was pleasurable to a relaxed, pleasurable state that they have at afterwards um and that actually happens with exercise um with a study once back to the research the study once where we would I'd do like a 10 minute all-out cycling um effort literally is hard to set the resistance as high as you could go for 10 minutes barely finish the thing max effort and then we have to jump into an mri and get an mri done to look at activation of the muscles of the leg and i'd be asleep in like five minutes before the mri was over be literally be out so you can you can do that um if you just relax and it was like really nice to be done with that exercise bout it was just awesome it was actually fun too because everyone was there yelling at us because it's a really high effort bout so i don't have to like um there's not like an off switch that I sort of need for sleep, but just sort of, for me at least, this is just sort of the way it works in my head. But I know that if like, I mean, there's some really awesome like YouTube motivation um, speech compilation videos that 
like I I haven't done this recently, but you play some of those and like you don't have a choice. You have to go to the gym and do something because they just want to make you kick ass and take names. So I don't run in run into that so much as far as my my sleep issues. Mine end up t- tend to be I don't have trouble falling asleep, but I had trouble staying asleep. Um, yeah, yeah. So. Um, and I'm working on that. I've gotten better on that, actually. So, but um, yeah, it's not a mindset thing so much. So that's. I wish I could give you a better answer, man. But it sounds like you've got it solved to some degree. Yeah. I. I actually, it's funny because I saw the blue blocking uh, glasses that you're using, and I'm using the same. It's the Uvex uh, thing, okay. right? Okay. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah Cheap yeah, ones. Using- yeah. Yeah. I'm using the same thing. It doesn't look that cool, but uh, yeah, it seems to be really freaking working. So I'm really glad about oh, that. Oh, good. You yeah. put them, you put them on when you wake up at night. If you have to get up and move around, you yeah, you put them back yeah, on. Your, absolutely yep. smart. Yeah, right. Yeah, awesome. So um, yeah, sweet. We finished strong. Uh, we didn't quite make it to three hours, um, but uh, I'm super grateful that uh, someone as prestigious and smart and uh, whatever. Not gonna be too bu- too much of an R slicker for the end. Let's not ruin this. But I'm super grateful that you took this much time. So um, I really appreciate uh, this almost three hours that you gave off your time for this podcast. And please, please just uh, let people know where uh, they can find your services, products, resources, and anything that you would like them to check out. <laughs> I think I'm gonna I'm gonna try to eat, make make this last like ten minutes so we can make make yeah. the uh, three hour mark explaining how to find my stuff no really this is a blast I, I literally you can probably tell i could do this all day long i really love uh chatting about this stuff and this is people seem to like it. i get so much awesome positive feedback that it's just it's self-perpetuating so and, and you know what like it's so awesome that because i see a lot of people that have been in the game for as long as you are and i can see that they are just fed up with the whole thing and they are just sick of people asking similar questions all the time and the mental masturbation you know and it's just so amazing to see someone like you still being as passionate about it as you are like it is really inspiring i just have to say that oh thank you know i i'm I'm definitely not perfect i get asked a lot of people ask me medical questions and i just can't answer those they'll want to know about an injury or what have you and i'm I feel bad. I have to pull them away. So that that one will continue to come back at me, and I do get those those questions, and I do my best to redirect. Um, so I'm not perfect. I have some days when I, you know, I'm just kind of like, oh Jesus, not this again. But um, but uh, you know, it, yeah, it's. I feel pretty blessed in that because I know what you mean. It's um, it's a difficult thing, but um, I think I've somehow I managed to be be lucky enough to have found kind of the right place for my perspective to settle where I um, I'm just managed to be full of gratitude more so than frustration most of the time and uh, so that's just I'm just lucky I can't I can't pin that down to anything that I did just kind of happened but um so where where to find me so fortitude training is the name of my training system um and uh i i've sort of dumped one of my sort of my big thoughts we didn't really cover this so much today is that and this this relates to this sort of the state of the industry which you alluded to is that um there's so much to be had from being, I guess, a bit more like I am. I'm obviously biased. Um, and being sort of more of a tinkerer and a learner and sort of figuring these things out that come along with bodybuilding on your own because there's just uh, an intrinsic value in having having done that and figured it out and on your own as opposed to being sort of told what to do in, in an XYZ, step one, two, three type of way that a lot of coaches will do now. Um, so there's been a perspective that's sort of grown really pretty largely in the industry that um, you kind of need a coach 
and you know all this is just way too complicated to figure out on your own and and um so you're gonna have to hire somebody and um so i've my book that i came out with last year is be your own bodybuilding coach and basically it's just sort of my perspective on pretty much kind of a to z it's it's not like you have to follow exactly the steps that are in there in fact the whole idea is that you you find your own way literally um that you know blindly following someone who tells you that they're your buddha that they're your your coach they're the um you know the next uh coming of all things knowledgeable in bodybuilding is probably the person you want to run away from because you can figure out a lot of this stuff on your own so i've sort of put down my thoughts and it's sort of a repository and reference guide for gosh everything from you know uh, um, it, my thoughts on intermittent fasting as of the state of literature last year and uh, what's in Scott's gym bag to the 20-page section on how I do peak week without pharmaceutical diuretics, how to structure your entire bodybuilding year, you know, fats, macros. I have a nutritional hierarchy of importance. I have a personal bodybuilding inventory so you can kind of check in on yourself and see where you are. It's... I've got like, I think, 2,400 references in there. So if you buy the ebook, it's hyperlinked so you can bounce around and um, dig into all the rabbit holes that I opened up with the references in there if you want to go into some of the topics, some of the which we talked about today. So that's that's at beyourownbodybuildingcoach.com or byobbcoach.com. Or if you just Google Scott Stevens and you'll go to my website, all the URLs lead you to the same place and you can get that. So that's the that's the one that, and it's on hardcover on Amazon. People are loving the hardcover on this. It's kind of cool. Um, I probably won't ever do an ebook again just because this one got pirated. So now people can, can buy it for like nothing. I'm all over the place. I don't sell any ebooks pretty much because people can get it for I don't know what it is. So if you really want to get it and you you want to be honorable about intellectual um, property and that sort of thing, then get you can get it from me uh, at uh, the BYOBB coach.com so those are that's my big plug man and muscle minds the podcast that you didn't even know about is um out there too yeah man it's crazy yeah like how the hell <laughs> yeah but uh I, I will definitely binge listen to that um come today so yeah there's i think if i think if you go on facebook to advices radio that's where you'll find a group group and if you ask to be in there i think i can let people in but um scott mcnally hosts um the podcast on the think big podcast network and he can get you in there we have oh, a question q a thread for people um so you can get in there and ask a question if you want or anybody can which is let you and i think the group's closed i'm trying to get him to open it up i think it makes more sense but um maybe it's just trying to keep the trolls out but uh yeah that, that podcast's been going on for years so we do that every other week and we generally go for a couple hours so um plenty of time for questions yeah perfect uh well dr scott uh, thank you so much for being on it was uh, an absolute pleasure chatting with you you're welcome brother my pleasure all right guys i hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did then please once again consider dropping a five-star rating on itunes it would mean a lot to me and it would be truly helpful and if you're interested in more cool stuff then you could visit my youtube channel if you type in sustainable self-development podcast there or even ssd podcast it will come up and if you're interested in working together with me, then you can check out the Calendly link in the show description. There you can book a free call with me. We can hop on that call, chat about your goals, challenges, determine if we are a good fit. And if that is the case, then we could be working together going forward to get you to the results that you want. So that's all I had to say for today. I hope you enjoyed this once again. And with that, see you next time.